Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we've got to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Hi, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it's going to be a lovely day. It is. A great day to be out in the garden. Absolutely. And uh, planting. Oh, yes, yes, getting your planting done. I the mean, soil's warming up. Yes, and actually I was out weeding the other day because I'd thrown some compost over one of my garden beds and hadn't uh, put a mulch over the top of it. And because I cold compost, uh, it came up with... Oats oh. and all sorts of stuff came up in the in the compost. Uh, so I decided I better weed it all before I put the mulch over it. Uh, and I got out to do that the other day. And the soil, oh, you could have eaten it. It was just, it was just a pleasure, absolute and utter pleasure to be weeding through the bed because it was just loose and friable and, and I could pull out the weeds so easily. And, and it was just lovely. So, yeah, so it's, it's certainly a time to be getting things organised. And uh, it's certainly, I don't think it's too early to be mulching, I have to say. Um, it's now starting to warm up a little bit. The weed growth is starting, so if you don't get on top of the mulching soon, you're going to have, well, a meadow, really. Um, and we've had a decent amount of rain. To we haven't had, yeah, we haven't had bad rain, so there's moisture down in the ground. So I'm starting to mulch all my beds because I'm going away in a couple of weeks' time too, and I've got an opening coming up in December. So if I don't get the mulch on the beds, by the time I get back after three weeks overseas, I will have a monster to deal with. So yes. I'm trying to get on top of it before I go away. Yep. Um, but what a time of the year. I've got tulips out. I've got crown imperial lilies out. I've got... Uh, trout lilies out. I mean, you know, the garden is just aglow with stuff. You know, all the different narcissus are in flower. It's what a time of year. <laughs> if I don't rush around the garden every morning, I miss things. It's dreadful. You know, you've got to be out there all the time. Mm, yeah. So it's yeah. fun. Good. And I'm enjoying the season. And yes, it's a, it's a great time of year. Excellent. Excellent. We also have to say a very good morning to Millie Ross, ABC Gardening Australia. Hi, Millie. Good morning. And, you know, I always find that uh, compost spread is quite a good method for sowing seeds if you don't get around to it, you know. <laughs> so, like in the veggie garden, if, if what you did plant doesn't go well, yeah. you'll always get something edible coming up out oh, of the yeah. compost, which yes. is, um, you know, the serendipity of, of productive gardening when you're using a nice cold composting system <laughs> is always good. But yeah. it, is, it, is such, it is such a lovely time. I was just... I I was staring out my window as I came hurtling down the highway and looking at the combination of all of the brassica weeds, the wild turnips yeah. and whatnot, and all of the wattles that are all flowering in the same I hues. And I was like, gosh, even the weeds look good at this time of the year. Oxalis is looking damn good at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> yes, Oxalis pescapri is looking very spectacular it's at the amazing, moment. It's amazing, yeah. it's amazing. But it's a, and it is such a, like, you know, living in a cold climate, the way yeah. you see... Before the weather even changes, you can see the plants are starting mm. to really change, even just as those days get a little bit longer. So it is such a lovely time to be doing just about anything, I'd say. Yeah, yes. Well, just being out and about and doing stuff is uh, at this time of the year. I mean, every morning, well, except this morning because I had to be down here rather early, but every morning before I go to work as a rule, out with a cup of tea, mm. walk around the garden, Taking some happy snaps of anything that's looking staring special. Staring at stuff. Yes, yeah, staring at stuff. <laughs> just standing there looking. You know, and, and just marvelling at the fact that you've got this stuff that's growing and flowering and, and, and doing it, you know, with 
probably minimal attention from you. It just sort of does You don't have thing. to do much at this time yeah, of the year, it do just, you? It just does it. It's fabulous. I think that I was talking about that with um, one of my colleagues this week and, and on that really mild morning and she said, oh, I was out there in my jammies, you know, mm. like because it was mild and in the first thing. And I, I remember that when I first discovered horticulture and I, you know, living down in the country and started studying, that I remember that feeling that every morning I would get up and grab a cuppa and go out into the garden mm. in my pyjamas to stare at the ground and see if something had germinated <laughs> or see, you know, is that once you know, when you're out there in your pyjamas, mm. you know you're in. Yeah, and, and you'll never get out <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> you're trapped. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Oh. Uh, we also have to welcome back, uh, I think it's been 12 months probably, <laughs> I'd say, roughly, at a guess, um, Richard Austin from Australasian Native Orchid Society. Morning, Richard. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody. And speaking of getting out in your pyjamas, it's just blue skies over Melbourne, mm. and so there's no excuses for lying in bed and thinking, oh, it's going to be drizzly and horrible like yesterday, but jump out there and, uh, you know, enjoy the sunshine because it's everywhere at the oh. moment. It's incredible. Mm. Yes. So good. Yes. That's the fun part about spring, though. You don't really know what's going to happen. Spring can be anything. Yes. And I think it might hail later today. <laughs> yeah. But it's blazing sun this morning and, you know, frosts for yeah. us. So, yeah. like, it's, it is just that. It is Melbourne. You know, who, who cares? <laughs> just get out there. People, I find that, you know, I, I don't even look at the weather mm. often. And sometimes that's a bit of a boo-boo because I might water all the pots and then it pours, you know. Yeah. But... I, I really, I couldn't care less what the weather's doing because no. I just walk outside and yeah. do what I do. And if I get wet, well, I go and get the jacket. Or if it's windy, yeah. I, you know, put the scarf on or put yeah. the beanie on. And, yeah, it's like weather, it. weather is weather. It's, it's wonderful stuff. But You, um, you can't get bored in Melbourne. You've, no, that's not right. with the weather. You've just got to roll with it. That's exactly. the way. You just roll with it. Yep. Oh, uh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. All good, all good. I'm going to get straight into some announcements because it is springtime and there is a heck of a lot going on including today if people don't have any plans for today. First up, I should mention that if you feel like driving down to Anglesey, the Anger Wildflower and Art Weekend is on uh, today. It started yesterday. They're celebrating 50 years of caring for the environment, so they're doing very well That's down amazing. there. It's wonderful. Now, it's running 10 through to 4. Uh, it's being held at the Anglesey Memorial Hall, which is in Macmillan Street in Anglesey. And uh, they've got spectacular displays of Indigenous flowers. They've got guided wildflower walks and bus tours, Indigenous plants for sale, art and craft exhibition and stalls, light refreshments, children's activities, uh, a then and now photo exhibition and local environmental groups manning information stalls. So that's all down at uh, Anglesey Memorial Hall today. Uh, Now also on today... Uh, we mentioned Open Gardens Victoria have got uh, <clears throat> a garden open this weekend and this is David's garden out in Footscray. It's a food garden, uh, but the front garden is a sculptural... Uh, he has sculptural native plants and hardy succulents uh, around a bulging trunk of a Queensland bottle tree. But uh, then in the back garden, this is where David has put all his... Um, Produce, and it's a garden groaning with more than 50 fruiting trees, shrubs and vines, which produce an incredible array of food for the household on a modest 500 square metre block. Now, the green oasis contains many fruits not commonly grown in Melbourne, nor readily found at the local greengrocer. Some of the exotic edibles include white sapotes, cherimoya, wampi, cold hardy papaya, 
various guava and their relatives and numerous grapes derived from North African uh, grape, sorry, North American grape species. Uh, so uh, lots to be seen there and to learn about. Now, um, David is um, an avid uh, grafter, so he will be giving a 20-minute demonstration of fig tree grafting at 11am. And he has also branched out adding a fernery and shade house where he now has uh, a collection of exotic orchids, bromeliads, aroids, ferns and succulents. He produces his own ceramic planters and uh, anticipates many of his orchids featured in his pots will be in bloom for the weekend. So that's all happening down at David's Garden. The address is 16 Central Avenue in Footscray. Uh, open 10 till 4.30, entry is $8, children under 18 free, and as I mentioned, at 11 o'clock, David will demonstrate fig tree grafting, and there'll be a selection of his ceramic planters for sale. Now, uh, a few other things coming up uh, today. Uh, as everyone knows, it's orchid time, and we're going to be hearing a lot more about orchids very soon, but uh, there are a few orchid shows around today. Northeast Melbourne Orchid Society have got their spring show on today. At the venue is Bulleen Heights School, 221 Manningham Road in Bulleen. Uh, the time's 10am through till 4pm, $4 entry, children under 15 free, and there'll be a large range of quality orchids on show and for sale, as well as uh, you can get uh, lots of advice out at that one. The other orchid uh, show that's on today, no, sorry, next weekend, next weekend, Maroondah Orchid Society um, have got their orchid spring show at uh, St Timothy's Catholic School Community Hall, 21 Stevens Road in Vermont. Open Saturday 9 till 5, Sunday 9 till 4. Entry, adults $5, children under 12 free. The usual plant sales, potting demonstrations, uh, floral art, refreshments, all of that will be happening. Now, the other one that is on today is uh, the Northern Suburbs Bonsai Club annual show. This venue is Bandura Hall, uh, the rear of it. It's at 20 Nurong Avenue in Bandura, and 9am through to 4pm today, gold coin donation for entry. Children free with that one. There'll be a great display of members' bonsai. There'll be a sales table, prizes, and plenty of on-site parking there for that one. Uh, now, of course, school holidays have just started and the Botanic Gardens, both Melbourne and Cranbourne, have got some, uh, some wonderful activities for children over these next two weeks. Uh, now, at Melbourne, they've got Spring into Nature to encourage children to explore, play and create uh, the delights of spring. Uh, both within the Ian Potter Foundation Children's Garden and out in the wider gardens landscape. Children can weave their own flower crown, concoct, concoct herbaceous potions. I like that one. Connect to the <laughs> I'll natural world. i bring some mandrake down. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that would go down well. Yes. They'd all have their wands. <laughs> yes. um, okay, and lots of uh, nature-based sensory experiences there. For children with a love of art and storytelling, you can join the award-winning author and illustrator Trace uh, Bella uh, for story catching with Trace Bella. And uh, families will learn how to use watercolour pencils and aqua brushes, make mini concertina books, uh, chat about story catching and draw inspiration from a guided tour around the gardens. 
Now, da- down in Cranbourne, uh, their big holiday event will be the Big Bandicoot Backyard, where children can learn about nationally endangered southern brown bandicoots. Um, there'll be uh, uh, a huge bandicoot sculpture. There'll be crafts and science activities, bandicoot games and opportunities for families to learn how to build bandicoot-friendly habitats in their own backyard. And they can also, <coughs> over the school holidays, ride free on the Kids Explorer uh, round the gardens. So that's all happening in our in our two uh, botanic gardens. A reminder that Tesla's Tulip Festival is on. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, they have themed weekends. The theme for this weekend is Dutch Weekend. Uh, children 16 and under can have free admittance. Uh, and uh, the festival is running right through until October the 13th, 10 till 5 each day. And the address is 357 Monbulk Road in Sylvan. Uh, a few more that I need to mention. Um, <coughs> Australian mistletoes in the environment. Now, this is the next talk being given by um, the Friends of uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. This is taking place on Monday, 23rd of September, 1 till 3.30pm. It's being held in the Australian Garden Auditorium there at Cranbourne. And uh, Peter Rogers, president of Ringwood Naturalist Club, um, has been enthralled with these and he'll be giving um, an illustrated presentation all about uh, mistletoes in the environment. And then afterwards, uh, you can have a wander in the garden's bushland to observe some mistletoes at very close quarters. Now, the cost is members $20.00. Non-members of the Friends Group, $25. Students, $10. And uh, if you go to uh, the website, um, you can uh, click to download the booking form. And, of course, all funds raised uh, from the event will be used for projects within the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne. Dearie me, there's so much going on. (laughs) It's spring. Get out there. It is spring. spring. And this is all in this coming week. Australian Native Orchid Show, hosted by Berwick Orchid Club, have got their show on next Tuesday, 24th of September, running right through until Sunday, the 29th of September, 9 till 4.30. This is also taking place at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. There's free entry. There'll be huge displays and plants for sale for that one. Uh, and uh, just a couple more. <clears throat> the uh, Open Gardens Victoria um, are not having an open garden next weekend. Instead, what they're running next Saturday, the 28th of September, is um, a bus tour. Uh, this is uh, going along Surf Coast and Hinterland. Uh, now, it's uh, the de- bus departs from 665 Collins Street in the city, Uh, a short walk from Southern Cross Station. It's leaving at 8.15am, arriving at 5.45pm, back to the same spot. There is a Freshwater Creek pickup at 9.30 at the Dickens Road Sports Oval. Now, um, it uh, it includes morning tea, lunch and afternoon tea, as well as tour notes, and it's going to be... uh, touring four wonderful private coastal gardens, each with its own character, and each nestled into the hinterland behind the dunes. And as well as that, they're going to be uh, 
to be also uh, looking at uh, some of the wildflowers, uh, some of the biodiverse landscapes uh, in there. Um, Peter Shaw will be guiding a wildflower walk. And uh, finally, the tour will visit the perimeter of a decommissioned industrial site currently being considered for the Southern Hemisphere's Eden projects. So some of the gardens that they're visiting uh, as well will be Peter Shaw's Sunny Mead Garden at Anglesey. Uh, there'll also be uh, Hinterland House and, as I mentioned, a couple of others as well, plus the Wildflower Walk. So a great day. You do need to book online, uh, but that's all taking place next Saturday. So... Um, have a look at that one online. And finally, uh, a couple of event, events taking place um, down at Ripon Lee Gardens. Uh, firstly, every Thursday in October, they're going to be holding Tai Chi in the garden from 9.30 through till 10.30. Entry is via a gold coin donation. You get a scone with nuttalex and jam with a cup of tea at the end of it and should be very quiet and beautiful at that time before the property is open to the public. Now, people who'd like to attend can visit the Ripponlee website, which is ripponleeestate.com.au, and register for that one. But the other thing they have coming up, which is a major event uh, for them down at Ripponlee, is taking place on the 20th of October. The event is called Botanica. It'll focus on the world of the botanical um, gardens and sustainability. Now it starts at 10 a.m., finishes at 3 p.m. It's all taking place in the grounds of Ripon Lee. It's a free event for all. There'll be an Ikebana exhibition by uh, International Ikebana Society um, with displays throughout the mansion. There'll be a display by the Bonsai Society of Melbourne. There'll be a large second-hand book sale with all books on sale focused on gardening and horticulture. There'll be food stalls. There'll be talks in the ballroom throughout the day, including Clive Blasey talking about seeds. There'll be a sound cloud immersion experience in the fernery. Now, that would be something. And there'll be a huge plant sale with plants that have been grown on the estate by the gardening team and much more. So that's mark that in your diary, 20th of October, and an absolutely free event. So that one's a great one to look forward to. Ah, Stephen. Yes. You've got things happening too. Oh, yes. Tell Vince. me about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's on? Do you know this week? Or? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mine is, is obviously an event for the diary because it's happening in a fortnight. So on the uh, weekend of the 5th and 6th of October... Mount Macedon Hort Society is having its big Garden Lovers Fair and it's going to be bigger than Ben-Hur this year. Uh, I believe we've got over 40 stallholders who are going to be at the Garden of Bolabek. Um, and so, uh, I mean, if you can't fill up a day just doing that, I'd be surprised. Plant growers from everywhere. Everywhere. And there'll also be other... Oh, bring your tools along. There's going to be a tool sharpener. Oh, uh, great. So there's somebody who will deal with your secretaries yep. or your kitchen knives or whatever. Mm. Um, there'll be tools for sale. There'll be books for sale. There'll be seeds for sale. Uh, there'll be garden furniture, garden ornaments, statuary, uh, and a whole range of plant suppliers, uh, all on the grounds of uh, the lovely Heritage Garden of Bolabek. There's obviously uh, not going to be a metal detector on the gate with everyone bringing in <laughs> kitchen knives and secretaries. Uh, no, no. And, and gardeners <laughs> are nice people. They won't be seen as terrorists. Gardeners are always terrorists. 
carrying weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably do it every time you go to get on a plane too, but I'm like, oh, which knife am I carrying? Yeah, where is it? How many knives have I dropped into those? <laughs> yeah, so anyhow, so that's all on uh, the Saturday and Sunday, the 5th and 6th, and it opens at 10 in the morning. I think you can come into the car park about 9.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as if that wasn't enough, uh, Open Gardens Victoria is opening another one of our beautiful gardens in the area, Dreamthorpe. Mm. So that will be open on that weekend. Again, 10 till 4 or 4.30, I think. Um, and it's a wonderful woodland garden with, you know, sweeps of daffodils and bluebells. I mean, it's so Howard e- Howard's End, it's ridiculous. Um, so where else would you go in Australia to see a garden of that style but to Mount Macedon? And it doesn't finish there. Uh, also at the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Hall, uh, which is uh, part of the um, golf club complex at Mount Macedon, uh, we've got our inaugural botanic art show on that weekend, uh, which we've called Artanica. Um, and we have this really good group of botanic artists who live around the Macedon Ranges, um, some of who have got paintings hanging in all sorts of places overseas and have been in overseas exhibitions and members of overseas botanic art groups. Uh, so we're not talking, you know, sort of low end here. We're talking You're really not talking high. me and you. No, no. <laughs> if I can't whack it on with a four-inch brush, I can't. I'm not doing it. I can't do it with a crayon on the side of a pot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. No, this is really good botanic art. So... Uh, entry to that is just a gold coin donation. Wow. Uh, the works are all original works and they are for sale. Um, and there's some amazing work going to be there. So that's also on on that weekend. So you've got the Bolabec Garden Lovers Fair, you've got Dreamthorpe Open with Open Gardens Victoria, and you've got the Artanica Botanic Art exhibition on as well. Uh, Artanica, if it works reasonably well this year, will probably be a biennial event. We won't be doing it every year, but every second year we'll do it. Fair enough. Uh, So if we get enough interest from people and they enjoy the event and and support it, um, well then we'll consider running it on a biennial basis um, because we have got some really, really talented uh, botanic artists living around the Macedon Ranges. So uh, it's worth coming just to have a look around. And obviously if you've got that gap on the wall that you've always wanted to fill with something really special... Uh, this could be our opportunity. Mm. So, uh, and you know, uh, sales made of botanic art over that weekend. A percentage of the sales will go back to the Hort Society for the things they do. So, um, uh, you'll be helping the Horticultural Society as well. So, oh, and by the way, at Bolabek there will be a coffee cart and there will be food available. Bring your key cup. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've got a sense uh, they did it last year, and I'm assuming it's the same this year that the local scouts will be doing the sausage sizzle, right. you know, all that sort of stuff. And uh, the Hort Society will have a store where they'll be selling homemade made marmalades and cakes and, and other stuff as well. So, you know, there'll be oodles to do Sounds over like it weekend. would be worth coming up for the weekend. You if know? You can, There's yeah. so much to do in yeah. our oh, region, yes. particularly at this time of the oh, year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, go and have a nice lunch somewhere, go yeah. and look at a stack of gardens. Yeah, and, well, and look, that, know, as I said, there's, there's two open for the Hort Society, but there's other gardens on mm. the mountain that regularly open for the public. That's so right. if you have got the whole weekend to, to fill in, you've got Forest Glade, Teve Tara, the both big gardens that are open on a virtually weekly Roster during the, the spring. In addition to all the things you can buy, there's also lots of people to come and hear talk. I mean, there's lots yeah. of people yeah. coming to give presentations on exactly anything from tomatoes right through to yes, you know, some trillions. esoteric thing I might yeah. do. Yes, <laughs> um, and in fact, I'll be doing radio that Saturday morning on the ABC, and then I'll be jumping in the car going straight up. And I think at 11:30, I'm doing my You'll my talk. <laughs> um, They'll wait for you. Yeah, well, I think they will. Uh, and so I'm I'm going to talk about something. Completely 
completely esoteric, I'm sure. I haven't really decided exactly what tack I'm going to take this time, but I wanted to do something a little bit left of centre and sort of encourage people to sort of look at plants in a different way, perhaps. Good. So, yeah, so there's oodles of things going on. I know Attila Capitani is doing a talk at some stage over the weekend. So there's a, a whole series of people who are going to be uh, in the speaker marquee as well. So, And, of course, the other thing I love about any of these events, and um, there's been a few of them over a period of time, I think, was Yay this weekend or last weekend? I'm just trying to think when the Yay one is. Yeah. But anyhow, all of those events, you've got people who come along who are growers, and you've got those people at your beck and call, instead of going to the retail nursery to buy something that the seller might or might... they just bought in and they know yeah, nothing about they it. They may know yeah. nothing about it, but you're actually talking to the growers at these events. Exactly. I, I often tell a very simple little story to explain how how easily you can get some information. With local potato grower, Bernie, stopped to talk to him at a farmer's market, just chatting about potatoes, asking about growing potatoes, you know, a really humble crop to grow. And I said something to him, I said, I only really ever grow Nicola's because I find them so productive and they're the ones that pop up of their own. And he said, oh, yeah, that's because they take about half as much water as all the others. And you go, what? And my brain, yeah, my brain goes... Oh, you've just told me a sentence that in 20-something years, no one, I haven't read that in a book. I no. haven't seen that written anywhere. And so, you know, I always tell people that, and they do. Your brain probably just did yeah, that. Yeah, went, ding, oh. ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> and you sort of think that's all you need is to just have a little conversation with the people who really understand how to grow yeah. things. Yeah. And, you know, in you won't even know, you're, you won't even ask the question that you think you need the answer to, but you'll get information that will really underpin so much of, you know, or tell you why you do things. Yeah. Why has that worked? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never understood why that worked so yeah. well. Now I, I do. Just, it did. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I recommend yeah. any of those sort of events and things that go on. Um, and, I mean, it, it comes down to your flower shows and things as well. When people are specialist societies and they're doing something like the Orchid people or the Clivia people or whomever mm. it might be, where better to go if you need to know about that particular group of plants because mm. you're going to have all the experts there. Mm. Perfect segue. Thank you very much. <laughs> Richard, oh, I'm getting so good you. at this. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly right, Stephen. And Millie, you, you, you wrapped it up because um, at our show, which is next weekend, and I'll, I'll give it a plug now because it's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. And we all know where that is. It's <laughs> right Turn opposite. up any weekend. Exactly. Free. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, and, and it's being right opposite the station. It's great access for people that are, um, you know, without a motor vehicle. Yeah. They rely on public transport. So that's from um, 9 till 4, both Saturday and Sunday next week. And, um, of course, yes, we will certainly have plants for sale. Yeah. And... The people selling those plants will be able to guide you through every step you need to know. And there'll be plenty of people around the sales area as well to help you with, with any you know queries you might Is have. Is it orchids at 10 paces between the terrestrials and the epiphytic people? Well, we do, we do, we do mix them to spud growers, which, yeah. are, the, which are the terrestrial people. I and, love it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that, but uh, look. They do get on pretty well yeah, these good. days. It's, it's good. It's good to see. It's good to see. And and on top of that, we'll have um, demonstrations and talks both days. Or you can check in the foyer when you when you get in there to see what time things are on. And I'm sure I'm positive, and 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 I can make this 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 clear for everybody. If you need to come back the following day, just hang on to your ticket. And, and they'll ah. let you back in again. If you want to come to a talk on the Sunday, you get to one on Saturday and you want to come back, just hang on to your ticket and they'll Fantastic. let you back in. Oh, so that's you can good. Have a look that's you did, Stephen, you did allude to something cheeky there, that Australia's orchid diversity is second to none, really. Absolutely. I mean, we, 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 
people automatically associate orchids with the tropics, don't yeah. they? Yeah, oh, they rural. do, yeah. Those big, big exotic, exotic things, yes. and all the rest of it. And um, with, with, with some of the work that's being done on the genetics of orchids and all the rest of it, it's, it's turning up that, that quite a few species that are dominant in Asia and all the rest of it actually have their origins in Australia to wow, start yeah, off that's with. that's interesting. And uh, we've got over 1,700 species. Mm. Are you going to have any um, underground orchids on display? Oh, <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um, well, it's in- interesting, interesting <laughs> you mentioned that. The ones that flower underground, you <laughs> yeah, mean, that yeah. are so evolved to hang out in tough places that they're like, what, I won't what even a, what a great, What up. a great plant. Yeah. I mean, th- there's, there's a couple of weird things, with, especially with the terrestrials, as Stephen just mentioned, the underground orchid which basically grows and flowers underground. Technically, the flowers are just below the mulch. So if, yeah. you, if you rake away the mulch, You'll, you can find, you the can find them. Now, the interesting thing with that orchid, one of the things that they found when they were doing some work on it was that how did it spread, if that's mm. the case? And the answer... Bandicoot poo. Bandicoot poo. Mm. And when they did some area surveys of where those orchids were yeah. found, it always overlapped with certain bandicoot populations. Goodness so me. So that's where Isn't you that get fascinating? That, that, that loop through mm. and, uh, you know, the, the coincidences are not really coincidences. It, it, it's all a climate... That that's evolved. It's it's like that one. I th- I've seen it before. I think it was on one of the TV programs about the Brazil nut tree, and it has the reaction with the orchid that lives in the Brazil nut tree. The males use the scent from that orchid to attack, track the female bees, and the female bees pollinate the 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 Brazil nut flowers. And all so you've always got sort of something, and that's one of the important things we're finding with our conservation group. Which, which is heavily involved in doing reintroduction of orchids and surveys yes. and all the rest of it around Victoria and uh, all the rest. One of the interesting things now that we're getting right into is not only reintroducing the orchids, but the pollinating plants that are used by the insects. Okay, so that you get that balance back again. Get that yes. balance mm. back again. Because if the pollinators aren't present, a mm. lot of the orchids we're reintroducing are what we call solitary. So if you could, because if you've got something like a wasp that might pollinate a, a particular like species of orchid, here, yeah. it, it might need nectar at a certain part of its life cycle, or it might need pollen and protein at yeah. a different part of its mm. life cycle. Mm. Like there are different different again. things that insects need at different times in their lives, and to have them all present, you've got to have all those things available. It's, it's that whole network. It's that whole network. Mm. And and once you understand that, and I mean, of course, the wasp. If if we're going to reintroduce into a particular area, the first thing you need to do. Is, is do some netting and we cheeky little things because the, the pheromone scent on these sexually deceptive orchids is so strong um, it only takes a matter of seconds sometimes if not minutes for the wasps in the area to react so if we want to reintroduce one it's easy to bring some cut flowers in, in, in vials mm. put them out in the area and suddenly the wasps descend on them bang catch a few you know under the net identify them Check them out that they're the, we know that they're present in that particular area. So we can, if there's no response, then there's not going to be much point. No, you reintroduce it. Yes, because yeah. the orchid isn't going to re-establish itself. It's, it's just it's going exactly to stand right. there as a, an mm. unique exactly individual, right. isn't it? Because so many of the rare ones, as I said, what we call sol- solitary, so they rely on seed dispersal and, um, you know, for plant recruitment. Mm. But a lot of the others, tuber multiply. 
okay? So they get extra little tubers under the ground and away you get, get these massive colonies. Mm. So they're not too bad. They can look after themselves. So we've got all those sorts of things going on. It is extraordinary. To, and I, I love hearing, I think it's kind of a new thing that we're discussing in biodiversity. Like every couple of years, there's something new that we learn mm. about that we're starting to recognise. But the, the work done by all those little marsupials and all those mm. little little diggers, bandicoots in WA, it's the quenders, you know, all of these little cultivators that are spreading seed. They're moving mycorrhizal fungi around, and in mm. a lot of cases they say that they're kind of aerating it. Mm. You know, they're eating truffles. The, the, you know, they're, right. they're, they're just so involved with parts of our own ecology that we don't even understand mm. yet. And, you know, these amazing little, often very, very threatened animals because they're ground-dwelling right. and, you know, they don't yeah. have, a, have much of a defence mechanism for a feral cat or wh- whatever. But just, just so amazing that every, every year we learn something new, don't we? And that's the thing we forget too so often is it's the links. You think, oh, it doesn't matter if we lose that, you know, that's not that important, but that can be a very important link in the chain. And when you lose that, you lose something else and the whole ecosystem can start to collapse just by ignoring one factor. You've got to consider the whole when you, when you yeah. look at the, any sort of natural environment, you know, mm. it's so interlocked mm. with each other and all the rest of it. Mm. So As are we. Well, exactly. exactly. Yeah, we sort of sometimes we're, forget we're actually oh, part, time of, we're we're part of it. We, yeah. we, we tend to make it so complicated, though. That's the biggest problem, I think, at the uh, end of the day. Mm. Now, I've noticed too, Richard, that um, just recently uh, they have shifted all the, the research being done, particularly with these endangered um, orchid species, down to a centre, down at Cranbourne, mm-hmm. Botanic Gardens, so all under the one roof, I know they're looking for funding f- to um, to build up things like microscopes and equipment <coughs> down there, so that this can they can really um, really uh, broaden uh, their scope for for you know not only studying them but relocating them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, da- down there with the laboratory which we established a few years ago now, um, but it's it's being in- expanded mm. and. I guess a lot of people don't appreciate that with orchids, unlike, you know, some beans or peas or whatever, um, it's no use you chucking some seed around because nothing's going to happen. Mm. It basically has to be germinated under laboratory conditions. Now, that just reminds me of something. For those that follow Facebook pages and all the rest of it, there are constantly ads coming up for people selling orchid seed. Mm. Buy this, buy that, you know, get these... Pe- mm. Just trust me, all those, if you see anything like that, it is a scam. Don't go for it because it just doesn't work that way. So you've got they to have a be selling you a packet of dust. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then sometimes they, they, they show you the seeds and they're these great big yeah. things, you know. And orchid seed is exactly as Stephen yeah, said. It's, it's like dust. dust. It's, it's so and, fine. Well, if you've ever had a b- vanilla pod, yeah. You know, yeah, vanilla exactly. scraped it out because yeah. that's that's the seed pod of vanilla planifolia, mm-hmm. which is um, I think they've been selling them up in Queensland. You've got to be careful with those because they're actually a climber mm. and they get to quite a few metres tall. Yeah, so, yeah, not, so it's not, not in the Massillon Ranges. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it's not going to happen at my place. But, no. but back to back to what what uh, we were talking about down there, and that's the whole thing. There's the laboratory set up down there so that the mycorrhiza fungi can be extracted from orchid cells. And we get that. I'm just showing the, the guys here in the studio this little collar section between the leaves and the tubers. So you've got, a, you've got a just germinated or just, how old would that be, little greenhood orchid? This, this, is a, this is a young one, but in the field what they can do is they actually just dig down 
with the orchid in situ, take a little slice off, off yep. that collar area and put it in, into a sterilised water, and they take that back to the laboratory, and under the microscope you can tease the pelotons of fungi out Amazing. and then wow. begin, begin growing Because them. that tiny dust-like seed has mm. no energy stored. It can't That's germinate right. on it. It's own. It needs it that relationship. Be, it has to be penetrated by the fungi to, mm. to, to start germination. So getting seeds not so much a problem because, you know, once they're pollinated, you can hand pollinate, etc., etc. But getting the fungi to germinate it is. Mm. And the problem is that so many of the different species have a different fungi associated yeah. with them. So yeah, one so size that, doesn't yeah, fit it's all. It's not that yes. sort yeah. of easy going, is it? It's, it's exactly. all about specific Exactly. And creatures that, working with other things. That's right. And that's what the lab's all about. So it's establishing the plants and then they can be flasked under sterile conditions and then they're basically grown on agar, start off with, then flasked With up. a bit of oatmeal in it, bit isn't of, it? Oh, Something like varies, that. It depends. I've heard it's, coconut milk's pretty good all, for All sorts of combinations. Yeah. Everybody has their favourite recipes. It's quite peckish, definitely. And that's the sort of thing. I mean, the same goes for the for the epiphytes, even the, um, you know, the, the, which are, a lot of these are hybridised and all the rest of it. Um, but... The same thing goes with those. You often see people going, oh, I've got pods on my orchid. What can I do with it? Well, there are labs that you can send them to mm. which will germinate it. You've got to ask yourself, is it worth it, worth it for you? Because most of these things just can be divided vegetatively. Exactly. And you've yeah. got to, you so know, you're not simple. waiting. The, the interesting thing is with the epiphytes, some of them you can be waiting 15 years from a seedling to get flowers, you know. Not not all, but some. Oh, with I the, should have started 20 years ago then. <laughs> with the terrestrials, we typically go from seed to a, to a flower in three years. Yeah, mm. yeah quite so a different So much more responsive. And they are, I mean, we talked about Anglesey, the, the, the festival on, if you want to see some of these tiny little terrestrial orchids, I mean, that is one of the best places in the world to see them. In, well, obviously in Australia, but even in the world, it is renowned down there for diversity. And I think something like a quarter of Victoria's flora mm. is found mm. through that heathland. It's mm. this huge amount of plant species. And this weekend, you can actually go for a walk and they mark them in the bush. You can get a little map mm. and literally traipse out, traipse very carefully, watch where you're stepping mm-hmm. because sometimes, That's you right. know, you're in a sea of these things before you know it. And you can you can go and see some of these orchids in the wild. That's right. And and the good thing about today is the weather's going to be brilliant. So the Ancare show, you mm. can you can double up and go for one of the tours in the mm. Anglesey Heathland. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the sun starting. orchids will probably be open. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll just be starting. And that's, that's one of the fun things too for the people that are crawling around on their hands and knees out in the bush taking photos and all the rest of it. You sort of go from the winter progression of the terra stylus and all these sorts of things um, into the early spring with some of the spider orchids and then as spring progresses we get more and more of the sun orchids coming mm. on and so you've got this succession of, of flowering times that can keep you going. Mm. In honesty, you can find that the terrestrial orchids in flower every month of the year around Melbourne mm. at different reserves, different types, mm. different Fantastic. species. And then for the other aspect, I mean, that's, that's, that's the basically looks at a lot of conservation work and all the rest of it that we do. The terrestrials are a little bit ticklish to grow. They're not the easiest thing mm. in the world, but that's one good thing about going to our show because we'll have a person, oh, um, um, Helen, Helen Richards, um, will be taking people through how to grow terrestrials and all the tricks that, that she has. Brilliant grower. But, I mean, there's the other side of it, which is the epiphytes. 
which are stunning plants. Showy. Very, very highly perfumed in most cases. Mm. I sadly haven't got a speciosum because it's one of those off years this year. Oh. Out of oh. my 10 plants, I've got two, two um, racemes that haven't opened yet. So that's the Sydney rocker. Orchid, the, the, yeah, big rock, one. Rock, rock lily, a lot of people call yeah. it, and that the, the the big ones. There's always plenty that have flowered, but they just seem to go through this cycle where yeah. they'll have a boom for two or three years, and then boom, nothing. Yeah. You can you can eat the the uh, stems. You can chop them up and make chips, apparently. So you could eat a couple of stems if they're not flowering. Well, you could eat a couple of plants. That'll serve them right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I'm eating you. That's exactly. It. Exactly. Uh, but dear. they're they're all they're, they're all the, the little kingy arnums and all the rest of it. They're the things that are relatively easy to grow. In fact, very easy to grow. Mm. And the, the colours, the fragrance. So that's that's a great option for people that don't want to be too fussy, but they want to. They're enjoy amazingly some resilient. I mean, I've, oh, got, I've got some kingy anums that I've attached to the side of. Well, I've got some on the side of a tree fern, and I've got some on the side of a palm tree. Yep. Um, and they flower and they flower at Macedon. Mm. Yep. You know, so it. you know, just need to keep that frost off them with the canopy above them. Yep. Uh, a little bit of light, and yeah, they do yeah. really there well. You go. So even in my way, I can grow those. <laughs> like, like other Australian plants, they're pretty tough. You know, mm. they're adapted right. to, to mm. grow in all sorts of unusual conditions. And well, they want yeah. to survive, basically. Mm. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's high time we do invite our listeners to yes, join us. What a good idea. Um, we're having a wonderful discussion here with Richard Austin from Australasian Native Orchid Society. If you'd like to join in the discussion, or if you have a question about native orchids, or um, in fact any plant you want to talk about yeah. this morning, we'd love to hear from yeah, you. Yeah, we're happy to get questions about cabbages. We don't. Mm. Absolutely. The number. I'm obsessed with them, in fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. And lemon trees. Yeah. Ah, yes. Oh, well, we well, get we those anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. number, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We're running through until 9.15, so jump on the phones to get your questions in or have a chat to us. We have Stephen Ryan, Millie Ross and Richard Austin in the studio this morning, 94190155. Richard, let's talk about a couple of your orchids to tease people to going along next weekend to have a look at them. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that if anybody wants to start out growing a native orchid, then you can't go past some of the epiphytes, such as the kingianums. Mm. If you want a compact size, I mean, this little plant that I'm holding up in front of everybody in here, I know we, our viewers, our, our listeners, sorry, can't see it, but you know, it's only it's only in what would it be a, a, a three-inch pot? Yeah, dendrobium or felly chitin? Um, that, that they're proposed <laughs> proposed <laughs> no, no, name. Another name Look change. At me, here but, we go. But the dendrobium, <laughs> dendrobium or felly chitin, but um, these. Are heavily hybridised. I'm, I'm actually. Oh, the, the, there's a little pink one, and that is the species. That is the straight species uh, as they come. So and probably then, the size, you know, of a large thumbnail or, you know, yep. ten to twenty cent piece. The flowers on these. They're not huge flowers, but they are produced in profusion, aren't they? Exactly, exactly. And then the hybridisers get get with it and start mixing them up. So you start, you can start your collection off. Colours range from, you know, whites to pinks to um, purples. There's some here that are, that are beautiful white colour with a very deep purple um, labellum on them. So there's all those arrays. And as I said, they're so easy to grow. Mm. They're tough as And tough you, can, as you tough. can have a whole collection of them in a mm. very tiny place. Exactly. Yes. Which exactly. is part of the charm of them. Because if you've got a, a balcony, 
and you still want to garden. You can. You can, you can. and you don't have to be restricted to one or two plants because uh, they don't take up much space. And they don't need masses of water. No. You know, a, a, a prop, in, in winter, and so they, they just can... T- natural rainfall and uh, in summer yes you do need to keep the water up to them a bit when it's warm but away they go and the other good thing about them is they don't really mind about their location the ones I have these they just hang on the side of a wall mm. you know on a chain mm. they do, you can cover a brick wall with them and just have them hanging there um, as long as they get good light mm. that's this that's one of the secrets to, to flowering the native orchids is good light, um, and but not belting full sun. Not belting full sun yeah. because if you, if you've got things too hot, you'll get leaf burn. Yeah, it shows up straight away. Mm. But uh, the funny thing is with the speciosums, then you get into your bigger things, and they're brilliant. But the the the, the aroma from the flowers is spectacular. They can develop into quite a big clump. Very very spectacular. But and they are fragrant. deceptive, are they not? For their pollinator, they smell like they're exactly. full of nectar, but they have nothing in there. Nearly they all the dendrobiums. Stoo- yeah, they stooge <laughs> the insect pollinators. They nearly, do. Nearly all the dendrobiums and, and most of the epiphytes, not all, but most of them fall into that category of dece- food deception. They think they Trickery. think it's a trick. They go in there and look for it and bang. And uh, the ones that do get trapped out in our gardens, actually, because it's usually native bees, unless you've got them in your garden, nothing's going to happen. But the hoverflies, they tend to pollinate a lot of the plants in the suburbs because they look for pollen to eat. Mm. They're, not, they're not so much worried about... Uh, they just like to eat the pollen. But they accidentally pollinate so many of mine at mm. home. There's, mm. there's no two ways about it. So those sorts of plants, the dendrobium types, and they'll be in profusion at the show mm. and we'll have some expert growers there with, with, with heaps of plants for you. They would be a fantastic thing to start with. So you can start off really small or go to mm. something quite established. And, uh, you know, the only tip that I'd give you is... With the big speciosums, don't bring them inside because the aroma will just knock you out in about five minutes. <laughs> That's amazing. And, I mean, such a fantastic um, group of orchids. Maybe if you, you've got a little one who's a bit interested in, in growing some mm. interesting things. And, you know, a mm. great orchid for kids because they are big enough. They're not huge. They're not like a big cymbidium that is physically hard to move around. Yep. Um, they're, they're a really, really fantastic, very collectible little group of orchids. Oh, exactly. Mm. And the fun thing with the little kingianums, a lot of the species have these, these little pups. They're called kikis, which is just an Hawaiian word for baby. Mm. And they form in the leaf axles. And once they start to harden up, the leaves get harder and, and they start to produce some roots at the bottom, you can just pick them off. And you just clump them together. And I just use little bamboo satay skewer you know just just tie them to it with a bit of budding tape stick it in a pot because that gives them support backfill it with a little bit of um, orchid bark and bingo you're going to have a new plant real established six months and away it goes so you can get a lot of plant satisfaction by sharing them around as well and they're always bits and pieces like that are always going to be exact copies of what the parent Mm. is Mm. fantastic Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have uh, Pam in Carrington. Good morning, Pam. Hi, everybody. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. Although brilliant sunshine's turned to heavy mist. Oh, has it? Anyway, yes. Um, I was wanting to ask our orchid expert about around here, out the back of Kyneton, sort of, um, 
Well, I found, we, I used to get around the bush a lot with my daughter and there was a big clump there, like all along the edge of the road, it was a back road, a dirt road, right, were all these greenhood orchids. Now, there was, there were a lot of them there and I've never been able to find them since. And I'm wondering if I look at the wrong time or are there better seasons or poorer seasons where I'm more likely to see them or we've had pretty good rain up here this year, maybe that... Okay, Pam, well, well, one thing, rain will affect them, but it sounds like you're talking about something like um, Terrastylus newtons, the nodding greenhood or or curta and they do form massive colonies. Mm-hmm. Now, you're looking normally in June, July would be uh, the prime time. Um, they right. start to taper off in August, but yeah. th- that sort of period, they should be there. Mm. Um, if they, you've looked at that period of time and you're not seeing anything, it's a bit of a worry that something's potentially happened to them, some sort of disturbance. Road, roadside vegetation, all it yep. takes is one sprayer. Exactly. To, uh, to destroy exactly. A, a little ecology on the side of the road. If, but, if the yeah. council's gone along with the, with the old magic spray to yeah. get rid of uh, weeds and um, just, just indiscriminately sprayed everything, then that could account for them mm. declining all of a sudden. But um, rest assured, if there's only one or two, if you, if you can get back there and find one or two, then they're going to bounce back because they multiply quite quickly. Okay, and I might be going a little bit late to see mm. them because I, normally around the August I'll go. Um, so maybe I'd, I might start. And what about frost? If they come up and it's really frosty, although they are in a wooded sort of um, a, a, quite a wide verge, I hate that word verge, but anyway, <laughs> um, it's, they're, they're sort of, yeah, they were, and it's very bush in the houses. No, they, they should be they should be right with frost. There are some species that do get knocked. It doesn't mm. kill the plant or anything, but it just no. knocks the flowers. But the greenhoods are pretty hardy, and they're designed to grow in in uh, in the winter conditions. In fact, up at places like Lake Mountain and and mm. all under our snow covered areas mm. at the moment, there'll be all the greenhoods waiting to bust out as soon as that mm. snow melts away. Yeah. And uh, they'll come in, so you get them up in summertime there because it's it's their spring effectively. There might you might be able to find um, I don't know. Sometimes it's worth having a walk, but I often find different orchids don't always flower every year. Mm. And I mean, oh, the greenhoods are often really reliable, but you probably would find there's foliage there. So if you went for a walk and ha- had a had a close look, yeah. uh, any time between that kind of June and September, you should be able to see the foliage of the orchids in place. And once you sort of get your, your orchid foliage oh, yeah. eye in, yeah, it's, um, it. it's really good fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. I've done a lot of bushwalking up that way. There's mm. um, unbelievable out around um, a few of the areas out the back of Kyneton, um, there's wonderful um, orchids and wildflowers. Mm. Mm. Excellent. No, certainly it's getting on to be just such a great time to go for a walk anywhere, really. Um, doesn't matter where you live. Go, go to head for your nearest bit of bushland, and there's not only the orchids, but there's so many things will be coming into flower over the next couple that's, of weeks. That's it. Well, enjoy, Pam, and I hope you have some success in locating them. Mm. Thank you. And I was very upset to hear about Binnaburra, mm. having had some wonderful time there and seeing seeing some wonderful orchids all around that area. I suppose. How do they recover after fire? 
It depends on the intensity of fire, number one. Mm. Um, if it's a really, really hot burn, it can be a struggle for them. Mm. If, it's a, if it's a moderate burn and a fairly fast one, then some species will suffer, but it actually encourages others. Mm. So there's that sort of betwixt and between scenario, mm. you know. It can be good for some and bad for others. But, mm. um, you know, a lot of these plants have learnt, to evolve in these sorts of conditions. Some of them the, need fla- fire exactly. to flower. There are mm. quite a oh, few yeah. species that will only flower after fire. Mm. So it, that, there's that sort of situation to play out. So it's just going to be a matter of monitoring the area and see what happens next spring. Mm. Yeah. Some okay. friends of mine are ecologists and they live, um, they live sort of quite near there and their house didn't burn down. But, you know, they, they, they completely are... Um, uh, distressed by uh, the drought, distressed by the climate. Yeah. I mean, we talk about these things a lot and, you know, obviously there's some real pressures um, on all of us emotionally with yeah. the way the world is going, but they're also moderately, mm. um, you know, heightened to see what does happen and what comes back because, um, you know, ecologists go and look and watch and see how things respond. So yeah. certainly many, many plants in Australia are adapted to fire. Um, they're not adapted to fire every three years, so when it when it keeps happening and yes. it keeps happening at the intensity um, that it does in some places, then they're they're not actually. As you talk about, you know, the the the, the big the big picture and collapse, um, that's, that's right. when it gets problematic. But no doubt the the bush will be extremely beautiful if you get some rain um, over the That'll next help. eighteen months. Mm, sure. And often you see a lot more orchids. Mm. After a fire, I know up near Kyneton, Black Hill, years ago there was a fire, and the and the first year after that, the first winter, there was a huge amount of orchid species flowering. But now the grass has kind of come That's back, right. and it, it knocks the competition. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you, you do you do often see a lot um, post fire. Mm. Yes. Mm. Okay, okay then, Pam. I won't be too stressed over Vinnerborough. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see you then, everybody. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. I don't know. Having having marched with some some many. Well, maybe 100,000 people on Friday. I think you could be stressed about Binnaburra. It's, mm. it's a big thing. And it it's is a big, a big thing, thing that we're in big drought right across mm. the east coast yep. of Australia, drought that we've never seen before. For sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but it, you know, the bush is, is resilient to a point, I think. But We, we can yeah. still push it too far. Oh, that's yes. what I'm, yeah, to a point, yes. and maybe that point is getting closer. Yeah, or maybe it was back there. The, t- the tipping point, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have Adam in Heathmont. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. How are you? We're well. Good, good. Um, I'm just after some ideas for some um, very small trees or big, large shrubs. A um, bit of blockage from the street, maybe uh, flowering to attract birds. Um, there's some gum trees around, so the soil's pretty poor, east-facing. Um, yeah, just after some ideas, really. Mm. There's loads of things, and it's a good yeah. time to shop, I've got yeah. to say, Adam. It's just yeah. like spot on about the best time of the year to get out and have a look around. Um, I, I mean, I would always go local as my first step, particularly if you want to do things like get some um, fast growth under eucalypts and attract birds. That immediately would head me down to my local Indigenous nursery to talk to, to people there. Um, yep. And, you know, there's, there's loads of different things that will serve that purpose. Um, even something as simple as sweet Viseria makes a fantastic, prickly, great mm, flowering, mm. Um, screening plant. It's really, really widely adapted across the whole of Melbourne, so a, a great plant. But there are so many species out there. I tell you, we, um, mm. 
One thing that we're mucking around with, but probably not as durable under gum trees, is um, the mountain corrier, which is Corrier lorenziana. Mm. Um, you know, I, the first time I met it was in the dark, and I looked at this thing, and I thought it was a potosporum in the dark. I'm walking the dog around the block, and I'm like, that is not... You know, it had that form. It's three or four metres tall, nice and narrow, really lovely foliage, and it turns out it's a, a corrier. Mm. Really variable corrier. I think there's something like a dozen different um, varieties at a place, you know, like Karanga would have a heap of varieties. But yeah, there's, there's lots and lots of options, and um, I'd always encourage you to try and do something that someone else isn't. Mm. Yeah, it's always fun yeah. with it. It's, pe- people do the obvious sometimes, yeah. and, and it's not always the way to go. Because mm. um, apart from anything else, you can have a lot of fun experimenting with plants that you haven't grown before, whereas if you go for the tried and true and... Mm and sort of accepted plants, Mm. then there's no real interest in that. And most plants don't cost that terribly much. So if you're buying a diversity of plant material, then you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. So some things might work, some things might not work. Mm. And that can be very, uh, very much aligned to your specific garden sometimes. Uh, So, you know, I'd, I'd be... Quite happy to be experimental, you Mm. know, if you're not spending hundreds of dollars on, on an individual plant. Try things and just see what works and what doesn't. Uh, When you're looking at things like planting for birds too, I think we get really a bit captivated by big nectar, you know, big big showy flowers. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are birds that eat grass seeds. There are birds that eat, you know, cockies love to tear a banksia cone apart or a Mm. she-oak seed pod. There's other birds that want nectar. And they want these things at different times of the year and all through the year. So, you know, mm. some of them want a little berry to, to eat. So the more diverse you're planting, the more birds you'll, you'll see, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you're creating habitat for all sorts of things. It's not just about the birds mm. either then mm. because there'll be, there'll be pollinators that will come in and, you know, mm. all sorts of other creatures will make use of your garden. Um, and so you create more of a balanced thing. So I never think about planting things specifically for one creature. Yeah. I think I try and think about trying to have things that are going to do different stuff at different times of the year that will encourage all sorts of things into my garden, preferably not um, deer and I am thinking about one planting and I'm trying to convince a friend to plant a landing strip for black cockies because yeah. they've uh, you've got this veranda out over this and you know there's one banks here and the cockies come just at that one time of the year to eat that and you can sit on the veranda and have black cockies like oh, right fantastic. there and I'm like why don't we just put this huge hedge the whole way along and we'll clip <laughs> it and you know keep it and just black cocky food so that hopefully they can just land and walk the way along but you know in, in in all your world, how many gardens would you have, really? Yeah, I, mean, well, I want yes. my black cocky garden. Or, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I think the other great thing to, to, to remember about birds is that um, water is really important, but the other thing is don't rake up so much, like leaf litter, mulch, mm. for all those little insectivorous species, you know. You want That's the ones, right. you know, it'll drive your veggie gardeners mad. Um, mm. to have their seedlings popped out, but um, that's usually blackbirds. Who, yes, you know, yes, usually but, um, a blackbird, But yes. a lot of the, the native species um, certainly certainly like to um Yeah, to and it's about them. creating habitat as much as it's creating food source, mm. isn't it? So, mm. you know, if you've got some nice, dense, bushy, slightly prickly bushes, and then you've got other things that have got an open canopy for landing platforms, mm. um, you know, so you get this sort of different levels and different sorts of shapes and forms in the garden. Mm. Well, that all adds to the biodiversity and that mm. all encourages the, the critters to come in. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. yeah, so it's all about that. And, and I have to say, I'll put in one little plea for the exotic plant material mm. because people tend to think, oh, well, I'll attract birds if I plant natives. But, mm. I mean, there's, 
they actually a lot of birds don't care where the plant comes oh, from. Totally. I mean, I've got uh, the little red, black, and yellow um, tropiolum, the little nasturtium mm. in flower at the moment in the nursery, and um, the eastern spinebills and the New Holland honey eaters are going nuts. They're loving it, uh, and it's. Chilean. So, yeah. you know, they don't actually mind where a plant comes from sometimes. It's a matter of whether it, it has a food source. I mean, you were talking about the black cockies. They love pine cones. Yeah, they, you know, well, they it, live it, on them in it, many cases. Yeah, now. and, you know, they've worked out that there's a great food source in mm. Pinus radiata cones, mm. and there's, down the end of our street there's some big old Pinus radiatus. Mm. Hardly a cone hits the ground that hasn't been pulled to bits by the mm. cockies now. So they just love it, and, and, you know, it's an exotic tree. And, in fact, they're probably controlling an exotic tree that, in fact has always been a feral pest, mm. uh, Pinus radiata seeds everywhere, but there's going to be less seed hitting the ground mm. because the cockies are eating it, and so they will probably have mm. a controlling mechanism over that potentially weedy species, mm. and they get a food source from it at the same yeah. time. I always, um, whenever I'm reading about a plant, you know, thinking about Iochromas this week, and, you know, when you think about where they come from, they're pollinated by hummingbirds. Yeah. And so then you think, well, that's got to be a great nectar source, that plant. You know, yeah, you, you, exactly. you just... Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I do love Australian plants. Yeah, and sure I, I think And I want to see more people muck around with them because I want them to do things I haven't seen yet. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's I think, um, where, where my interest in, in that comes. But it's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, yeah a, a, an animal doesn't really care where a plant comes no, from no. as long as it's delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, like me. Yeah, well, we have the same thing with our veggies. I yeah. mean, we, they come from all over the world and exactly. we grow them because they're delicious. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, Adam. Yes, very good. Off hey, the cranga. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Good yeah, idea. Yeah. Great idea. Right. I think, uh, well, we're talking about um, eating things. This uh, this beautiful little seeded um, green hood that you brought in, Richard, still has its tuba. So we're talking about um, terrestrial orchids. Many of them do form a big underground storage tuba hmm. that the, the fungi gets to eat a bit of that and it keeps the orchid fuel, but it was also indigenous food plant. Well, in some cases, yes. I mean, on this little one, you can see there's, there's two tubers there. The, the bright or the light-coloured one is the new tuber, so that'll be the plant for next year. Uh-huh. And the one on the other side is attached to the leaves for this year. So all that section, the current section, apart from the little white tuber, dies, and it just leaves that tuber in place, and then that will shoot. And uh, the fungi can penetrate into the cells, and the orchid digests it. It's actually curled up in little pelotons, as they call them, the same as the cyclists. I don't know why they invented that <laughs> name, but anyway, they, they, went, they went with pelotons. And, uh, I mean, you really need to see this under an electron microscope to, to visualise the, the size of the thing. Because the thing you'll notice with this, for the, for the people that are in here, is there is no roots. Mm. But there is very fine hairs all over those structures, and that's where they can absorb moisture, have have some basic interchange of materials. But but as I said, um, Aboriginals knew the cycle for some of these plants, especially things. There's one called the uh, potato orchid, which was um, it, it's it's actually a saprophyte. It, it can't photosynthesize, and it relies on a, a reliance with say eucalypts to collect fungi from them. And it feeds through that interconnection, completely reliant on it. But they can produce massive tubers. That's why they were called the potato. And they would know the cycle to go around and, you know, always dig some up. They'd always leave a few and away it goes. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to our next caller. We have Alex out in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Pam. 
And last week you were battling to remember the name of the threatened orchid. Yes. But, uh, well, it's di- Richard will be able to help you with that. It's Diurus fragmentissima. It was, it's, I think, still critically endangered in the wild. Right. But uh, it's quite secure in, in uh, cultivation now because of a lot of the work that the Australasian Native Orchid Society did. Mm. And I'm sure there are attempts to reintroduce it into the wild. I'm not sure that they could be classified as successful, but there would be thousands of hours of volunteer uh, that volunteers have put in to help it, and they're still surviving there, but probably not thriving because of all the changes we've made in soils and things. Yes, right, right. That was the the orchid that they used to was it known as snow on the plains or snow exactly. in summer? Yep. snow in summer. There were so many yep. of them <laughs> looking right. west now from the Yuyangs that it looked like it was there was snow on the ground and, and the sheep the loved common, them. The common name now is sunshine diurus because it was found rediscovered up on a railway line mm. near between mm. Tottenham and Sunshine. Yes, yes, and that, uh, that's th- correct. There's only a few plants there, and the mm. Melbourne Zoo helped. Uh, cultivate them originally. Mm, that's right. That's right. But now it's pretty widespread. But mm. uh, and and Richard was talking about that beneficial fungi too, and and that's quite important. But I think people should be warned that that can stimulate some sort of a, an orchid virus in humans. Once you get into it, it seems to really really take off, and you know, really get. Very interested in these all. Very easily infected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Very easily infected. Like many different uh, aspects of horticulture, actually, it can become quite, a, yes. quite a, an issue and there's no cure as far as I'm aware. No. But isn't it interesting that there are so many things in horticulture and gardens that you know, people have such a vast range of interests mm, mm. and Richard's put in a huge amount of time and his skill and knowledge to... Uh, to help the native orchids, and I think that's wonderful. Mm. It's interesting you you mentioned the um the the railway the little railway area. I, I you know get a similar um, train line, and and there's a couple of spots where you, you look out and it's totally industrial, western suburbs, run down. There's this tiny little area that might be five or six meters wide and about thirty meters long. And it's fenced off, and I can see little pink tags in there, which mm. I don't know whether yeah. it's spiny rice flower, I don't know whether it's an orchid, but you know that no, there's something valuable orchid. in there. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, talking earlier of the roadside, going to look for those orchids, there are still such valuable little pieces of mm. vegetation because people thought nothing was there. Well, and the right. people who fenced the railway lines probably did it to keep their sheep and cattle from getting on the line, yes. but uh, they've, uh, there's a lot of endangered plants along those little strips mm, in patches. That's yeah. right. Well, a lot's been lost, but you, you, you're quite right there. With, with the sunshine diurus, it was down to you know only one or two plants mm. left. There are thousands now, and they have been reintroduced in certain areas. We had a big funding push on it uh, a couple of years ago with a crowdfunding scenario, which, which certainly hit its target which all that's gone to fencing and uh, reintroduction programs. You see, the the interesting thing with the the Sunshine Diurus, those planes we're talking about were the um, Themidra 
grasslands, yeah. the kangaroo grass. Now, we're down to, I think it's about 1% of the natural Themida grassland left in the west of Victoria. Mm. I think it's 0.01%. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's just because that was such flat land there. All you had to do was, was knock out the boulders, all those volcanic rocks, mm, mm. and bingo, great place to build factories and, you know, um, settle some, some uh, livestock in and, and away you went. So it was yeah. very easy and cheap to clear as opposed to having to cut down forests and, and all the rest mm. of it. So it suffered. It suffered badly. Mm. And yeah. that, but... Rest assured, it is working, the reintroductions. There have been some successes and failures with the reintroductions, but they're learning from those, and uh, it, it, is, it is on its way. It is on its way. And, I mean, I think, you know, this time of the year, so there's so many things to do. There's, there's plant fairs every mm. other weekend. There's wild, you really can go anywhere right mm. now and find things that are compelling, whether it's a, a show with um, talkers or just going for a walk around the block um, or into your local natural bushland. It is just the most exciting and rewarding time to get out and Certainly do things. Mm. And the Australasian Native Orchids show is absolutely brilliant. Mm. And you don't have to miss the grand final. You can go on Saturday or Sunday before <laughs> or after the... Well, there's, there's, there's no excuse for, for Geelong and, um, and um, Collingwood supporters <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> I used to love working grand final day. I used to offer to work it at the nursery because you, you could really spend time with people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they needed therapy. Oh, they're happy. No, happy to come in. And people who don't care about football. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> okay, thanks, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I mean, I care about football, but I also I don't care about really this game at all. <laughs> and so I feel like this great liberation when your team, <laughs> you know, I'm not a great football follower, but, you know, I, I don't mind when the team's not doing that well mid-year. You think, oh, great. Well, I don't have to be stressed about it or worry <laughs> yeah, about yeah, it. I've just right, got exactly. months yeah. to myself now. <laughs> ah, the Bulldogs do have their women's grand final today, I might yeah. remind you. Ah, oh, yes. Go. go, doggies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You you actually um, did did a little segment on gardening Australia uh, um, quite recently about exploring what was in um, native bushland around golf courses. Oh yeah, look, I, I, look, that puzzled look on my face is just like, did I film it this year or last year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when uh, did it happen? Certainly yes. did. Well, that one we did film last year, and okay. um, it was actually at Royal Melbourne Golf Course, which That's right. you know, like so many places, it was kind of locked up early. Um, it was a very, very funny filming day. I'm going to try not to uh, offend anyone, but you had to sort of, we had to get out of the way of any of the members and we sort of couldn't look Four. them in the eye. Um, <laughs> I have never seen a machinery shed like that machinery yeah. shed. It was like they could have been heading out to Buckingham Palace. The <laughs> amount of equipment yeah. um, and the amount of, uh, you know, we, I thought, oh, we've got to meet at the sheds. And then you get there and you just sort of see. 38, you know, mowers all lined up together, yeah. all brand new, and 38 of this, and oh, it was goodness. quite incredible. But, yeah, just this in- incredible thing that there's these small areas of, of the roughs all over this golf course, um, which actually uh, have a huge amount of remnant vegetation, and in particular some rare orchid species. And the fellow who has been looking after this was an apprentice um, so he's been there about 25 years. The two people that he apprenticed under were very passionate about the remnant vegetation on the golf course, so he really learned that from a, a young age. And just this incredible challenge. He says sometimes, you know, he says, I don't know why people play golf sometimes, because, you know, people pretend it's relaxing, but I just see very stressed people <laughs> yeah. <on just laughs> yeah. hacking away, you know, yeah. they're hacking away 
away and you just going, oh, you're really close to that orchid there, yeah. you know, as they're hacking away. But yeah, well, golf is always a good way to ruin a walk. Yeah. <laughs> well, My it's very entirely. stressful, very yeah. stressful. But no, it was absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, there's a, it's a real, it's a really um, challenging management job. They need to keep the vegetation quite low so people can see through. You know, there's all of those challenges that you have when you're dealing with a public space and this is a public space that then needs has a particular use but then um, also sort of contrasting that with trying to manage it um, with an understanding of where these little pockets of important vegetation are and I think they might have had their open days but every every spring they have a couple of days where they um, have some guided walks and guided tours around the golf course but you know you'd find that Across the city, it's just funny, I have a friend who plays golf and he always wants to stir me up and he wants to get me telling him that golf's terrible and golf courses are terrible. And I'm like, no, they're really important open green space in cities and increasingly they're managed better and better and better for water use, for chemical use, for all of those things. You know, they're really, Mm. like everywhere else, they're they're changing the way they do things for their own efficiency as well as... Um, you know that that and you know they are places that have incredible incredible sort of opportunities to have some interesting yeah. vegetation and um, mm. yeah it was a, it was a great great story and mm. um, it was very fun burning around on those little buggies all day <laughs> but we did have to get out of the way until we sort of had to sit quietly and let mm. people play through and um, it was a, it was a it was a rather interesting cultural experience yep. and my first my first hit of the golf ball plum shot second one hit the building. Oh well, I thought I was going to be kicked off in yeah. the first five minutes of being at Royal. So Mel. you've got a really good hook. Okay, right. Next, we're going to uh, Ruth out in Box Hill. Good morning, Ruth. Oh, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, my question is: uh, yesterday, uh, basically, I was um, uh, trying to repot one of my uh, fuchsias into quite a large pot, so I uh, opened up a a bag of uh, potting mix, which I'd had for a couple of weeks, but only bought it a couple of weeks ago, and it's got uh, a grey mould in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not sure whether it's safe to use. Yeah, it's perfectly all right. Uh, most of those things, because they're sealed in a bag, you, you get a little bit of growth of things in there. But it's living off the things that are in the potting mix. It's yeah. not going to necessarily be something that's going to affect your plants when you use it. The only thing I always say about potting mix in bags is make sure that you tip it out and moisten the potting mix down so that you don't breathe in spores yeah, and yeah. things from it whatever's in the potting quite mix. Wet. Yeah, well, if it's yeah. moist, then you shouldn't have to do that even. Yeah. But you, whatever it is, it'll just be a grey, mouldy thing that's living on the organic yeah. material in the potting mix. So mm. it's, it's certainly not something that's going to affect your fuchsia. Yeah, mm. thanks. And um, sometimes I've noticed too that when I have taken, um, say, a, a pot that I haven't repotted for a while, mm. and there is a mould actually in it, like a, gra- a mm-hmm. whitish sort of... Yeah, that, yep, that's often that's quite a common thing. Uh, and in fact, if you're growing conifers at all, it's almost invariable and it's necessary mm-hmm. because it's actually the mycorrhizal fungi that um, conifers, in fact, require to grow well. Mm. So generally speaking, it's not something that's going to hurt your plant. It is. Oh, it, great. It's an interesting thing of language that we say mould, which is normally we yep. would say there's negative mould on food. Or yeah. Mm. When you say that, that's the white stuff is the mycorrhizal part of the, yep. the fungi um, yep. that gets in there and breaks it down and, and in, in lots of cases is how a plant actually accesses yeah. those nutrients. Yeah. In so, yeah, so they are a positive thing yeah. most of the time. I mean, there's only a handful of um, nasties when it comes to different fungi things yeah. and what have you. The vast majority of fungi that are out there in the world are actually beneficial in one way or another. Mm. So I think we tend to 
lump them all as baddies, and they're not, you know. So, yeah, so I wouldn't be at all worried about using your potting mix. It'll be fine. Um, And um, fuchsias are a greedy plant, so they do need to be repotted regularly. Uh, They also need to be fed regularly. Uh, So if you want to grow a really good fuchsia, then keep them well watered through the summer, give them regular liquid feeding, uh, and repot them practically every year. And and they'll grow well. And prune them hard when you pot them up. And then stand back and watch the honey eaters. Yes, that's right, yes. Yes, or the children who come and go, pop! (laughs) Now, the other thing I'm a bit guilty about is um, what do you do with all the potting mix bags? Like where do you, you know, with all this thing about, you know, you can stopping probably just give them a rinse bags. and take them to the soft plastics recycling at, plastics. Um, mm. at the. I imagine that they can go into that. Yeah, I, would um, I give them a clean so. if you can. But um, yeah. look, I, I have exactly the same. Wouldn't say it's a guilt, Ruth. I'm just trying to find a solution yeah. to not buying yeah. as much. Some it's, there <coughs> used to be a few nurseries. I know Bullen Art and Garden used to sell a bulk potting mix. I don't know if they still do, oh, like right. by the cubic yeah. meter. Yeah. Um, and you would get it by the cube. Uh, yeah. I buy it in a 10-metre truck Can I load. come and scoop a cube on <laughs> no, the cube? No, <laughs> I used to have a lady friend who used to come in and get bucket loads of potting mix from my nursery, and in the end I actually was starting to get a little bit sort of upset about it because... Every time I get a truckload of potting mix in, I've got to shift everything off my driveway to get mm. the truck into the potting bay. So if I'm selling on the potting mix, I've got to get truckloads in more frequently, and that means I have to move everything off the driveway more mm. frequently. Mm. So I actually am very possessive of my bulk <laughs> potting mix. Uh, Just by the pocket fill if you yeah, go to see it, yeah, you never right. notice. Yeah, that's right. So, But, yeah, so I buy it by a 10-metre truckload, which yeah. is fantastic. And, um, and of course, there isn't then this issue of mm. all that byproduct that you've got to deal with. And, in fact, in my nursery... I'm really careful about things like that. I mean, I don't use much that comes in plastic Mm. bags. I reuse all my pots. They just keep getting reused until they fall to pieces. So I've got pots at the nursery, actually. I keep peeling my little price stickers off the sides because I'm putting something else in it. Because they're on 1980s prices. Yeah, well, that's right, exactly. (laughs) And and you'll sometimes find five or six bits of label that I've taken off. So I've used that pot five or six different times for five or six different plants. Do you have any process for cleaning the pots? No. Sunlight? No, the, the pots just get stacked away and used as I need them. I have this possibly inappropriate belief that if you can't put a plant in a dirty pot, you can't put it in the ground. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so I, I'm very laissez-faire about it. And I know there are certain groups of plants where you have to be a bit more hygienic to keep them growing well. But generally speaking, most of the plants I grow, they'll, they'll cope with the, the hurly-burly of going into a dirty pot. I mean, just it's not yeah. the begin-all or end-all. In fact, I was just looking at one I've got here, and I think a dog has been chewing on the pot uh, at some point, <laughs> probably without a plant in it at the time. But I've still reused the pot, even though it's got still chew, chew marks in it. <laughs> Thanks for those solutions. Just before I go, I just wanted to add to the orchid theme today. Um, last uh, summer we went uh, blueberry picking up towards Emerald oh, yes. and we, we took a, a little road that was an un, like a gravel road. Mm. Uh, I think it runs along beside uh, one of the dams up there and uh, lo and behold we saw these most beautiful pink orchids. Um, mm. They were about a metre high or, or knee high. Possibly hyacinth orchids. Which are gorgeous. Before. We have them mm. up around our way too. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Lovely orchid. Very surprising to see because the area they were in, it was very dry. Mm. And uh, in the little reading I did later, um, it says they're associated with these particular gum trees. Mm. And uh, um, so it was very dry and shady and mm. uh, just the most surprising thing to see and just really lo- lovely. Mm. Yeah. It is um, yeah. It's, yeah, always wonderful when you just 
come across something come like across that by something chance. You've never that's seen right. Before, yeah. Mm. And and Ruth, that, that's the interesting thing with those. Again, they're another saprophyte, so they can't photosynthesize. Yeah, yeah they have no green leaves. Or no anything. green, no, no leaves, leaves, and uh, the reddish purple stem, and that's why they associate with the gum tree, mm. and oh. that helps feed them. Mm. So oh, if the gum tree dies, um, yeah. They're, yeah, they're in, they're yeah, the in orchid trouble. goes with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my sister took this lovely photo. There's a, um, a group of three gum trees all within a metre of each other mm. and one rose orchid in the middle of it all. It was just really lovely. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot for your solutions today. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Pleasure. Okay, bye. I think um, I'll come back. If I do discover someone um, local who's doing a good quality potting mix by bulk, I was mm. only just thinking yesterday I mucked out um, last year's leaf mould Mm. and checked in on this year's leaf mould. And, you know, so I might make, what, it's probably 100 litres of leaf mould, you know, the equivalent yep. of three bags of potting mix a year and mm. use that mixed with some sand or perlite or other things depending on what I'm growing sometimes for making yeah. my own potting mix. But I'm, I'm trying. I haven't found the perfect solution for a plantaholic. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm if you're growing a lot potting. of plants, you need yeah. an awful lot of potting mix yeah. and it's yeah. really hard yeah. to manage creating your own potting mix in your mm. own environment to do that. Mm. Um so, yeah, so if you can buy it in bulk, at least you're getting I mean, around the bag issue. I mean, the basic, the basic stuff is quite inert. You know, mm. if you can get a potting mix that is just your composted pine bark, perhaps yeah. something, you know, something, some sand or whatever it is to that right mix, then you can start to adjust it for different plants. Mm. So I think thinking mm. you need mm. 23 bags for 23 different types of plants that you're going to grow, you can actually fiddle around with one basic good quality potting mix, you can add, add and subtract, yeah. I would say, to, to make it do different things. Um, but, yeah, it is, it's a big challenge for people who are trying not to use stuff mm, totally. or buy stuff. Yeah. That's, right. That's right. Okay. Well, next up we're going to Max in Thornbury. Good morning, Max. Oh, hi. Um, yes, I'm trying not to, to buy too much stuff too. We've got a, a um, I've got about half a cubic metre of soil that... Um, we um, got from um, pot that was piled up in our garden shed and it was piled up by a rat that had burrowed up um, under the shed and, and into the inside the building. Wow. <laughs> the, the floor was crushed rock um, that I compacted and, and they churned it all up and they'd made this massive mound. Um, and so, you know, they were having a great time there and it was sort of like, Club rat and very nice place for the lots of tunnels around. So um, eventually we um, solved uh, the rat entry problem by um, um, removing that soil and putting in new um, new crushed rock with a, a wire mesh and then um, some um, paving stones over the top of that. So mm -hmm. they were too heavy for the rats to push up. Yep. But now I've got about half a cubic metre of a mixture of soil, um, crushed rock and a lot of shredded um, plastic, particularly plastic bags um, oh, goodness. that um, I can remove the larger particles um, and I'd probably become the, um, the anal gardener of the year by um, vacuuming... Um, a pile of dirt. <laughs> Sometimes that works, yeah. Um, after, after sieving it all through a, through a wire mesh to, mm. to get the, the, the crushed rock that was out of there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now I've got um, dirt with um, 
very, very fine particles of plastic. So, um, or I will have if I do the whole batch. But um, so I'm, I'm wondering um, how much of you know is is how much of an issue is it just to use it to grow. It won't be that much of an issue. I mean, plants will grow in something that's got bits of plastic through it. That's, <coughs> that's not an issue at all. Uh, the issue comes up is what you do with it in the final wash-up. Mm. Um, when it's no longer being used as a potting mix, there'll still be plastic there, mm. uh, yeah. which, you know, obviously you don't want that to go out into the environment. It's probably plastic in just about every city soil anyway. I think, well, there probably I think is. It's, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I had a similar theory. You know, I lined my vegetable garden with a very, very high-quality geotextile fabric, but that's made from, you know, recycled... Um, it is a type of plastic, and, I, you know, I really twisted and turned on it because the roots for the elm were just coming straight into my vegetable garden. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of an experiment, but I, I suspect that our soils are... Particularly our city soils oh, are yeah. fairly full of plastics yeah, and, yeah. and rubbish And we're still anyway. growing things in it. So, yeah. yeah so yeah. I'd, be, I'd be certainly using it. I wouldn't be just mm. discarding it. I'd yeah, use I mean, it I think it'll be an interesting debate, and there'll definitely be some science around yeah. this in the coming years. But I, I don't think anyone really knows mm. how detrimental it's going to be. I mean, there's there's fungi that recycle plastics that mm. eat them. You know, it's incredible what they're doing now That's in the right. research That's right. into, uh, into, into those organisms. But I, it's, a, it's an interesting question, Max, and I don't know that we have a yeah, definitive answer. We wouldn't be afraid of it, but we're not really afraid of anything. No. So. No, I, yeah, I would I'm certainly not, use it because uh, otherwise you've got to discard it. So, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know, turn a negative yeah. into a positive at least. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would be using it as a component of my potting mix. I wouldn't mm-hmm. think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, um, thanks very much. That's okay. Great. Enjoy okay. your uh, afternoon sieving rat frass. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, fantastic. I'll, I'll get back it. to vacuuming the dirt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Max. Bye-bye. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, next we're off to Kate in Surrey Hills. Good morning, Kate. Oh, good morning. I love the show. <coughs> good. Um, just I found a tiny little, it's either an orchid or a bulb on the building site next door last year that was about, the leaves were about 10, maybe 10 centimetres high, flat, a flat leaf, and then the flower itself was maybe one and a half to two centimetres long, bright red. Six petals, um, three sticking up and three sticking down with a little stamen in the middle. And I can't find ID on the internet. Well, we can and scratch I, an orchid. Yeah, it's not an orchid, definitely not an orchid. No. Um, no, I want to say stipelia, but yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I was actually thinking something along the lines of one of I'm the South sure. African um, iridaceous things, maybe a, mm. um, a freesia laxa or something like that. Mm. Um, I'd need to see a picture of the plant to feel confident about it. Um, I tried to send a, a photo through mm. to the 3CR, but I don't know whether it came through or not. Mm. Um, who did you send it to? I sent it to 3CR Facebook. Mm. Okay, well, we'll have to go yeah, we and may have, have a look. To see if we can find it in Facebook. Uh, the yeah. other possibility, of course, is if you send the image to me, uh, I'm happy to ha- have a crack at IDing it. Um, okay. And um, 
What's the best way to do it? You can send things through Messenger. Um, on Facebook. On Facebook. Um, mm. And, you know, I have my own Facebook pages, so you could possibly go through my Facebook page, okay. put the image oh, thank up, you for that. and I will get back to you as soon as I can with a, a potential uh, name for it. Um, if it's something you found on a vacant block next door, there's a good chance it's something reasonably easy to ID. Yeah. I don't think it'll be anything yeah. particularly obscure, but it certainly isn't an orchid. That much I can feel yeah. fairly confident about. Um, yeah. okay. uh, but it may well be one of the little South African bulbs. There are masses mm. of them, and mm. so mm. I'd have to see it to be confident. So try doing that. See if you can send it to, to me via Messenger on Facebook. Meantime, uh, we'll have a quick look yeah, on we'll our Facebook page. Did you... My brain's Lovely. not working, but I, I yes. reckon I know what it is. Oh, that's you found the, it, Millie. Is, that's the uh, Sprachelia. Sprachelia, that's what I was going for, because she said three down, three up. Yeah. But that was my, that was my guess. Sprachelia. Yeah, but it, the flower's too big. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So okay. anyhow, I um, send it to me, send and we'll see. And look, I'll get back to you as soon as possible with an answer. Um, I think that's generally a, a good way of dealing with things is to actually see what it looks we like. We do so, need, yeah. yeah, and it helps. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Stephen. That's a okay. pleasure. Bye. Okay, bye. It's always nice to know what you've got. Oh, you know, yeah. I hate having these. Un- you know, see, that's the thing I was thinking. It's well, like three up, three down. And that's three up. Yeah, that's so that's come from Chloe, who I think is doing our Facebook. So I'm not sure if that's the actual image. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if it is that, that is definitely Freesia laxa, which Freesia used, laxa, which is used to be called Laparusia laxa, and then it was Anamothica laxa, uh, and then they dumped it in with Freesia. So Freesia laxa. So if that's the thing, that's it. But anyhow, we'll wait and I see. I think that is that's Chloe. Chloe said that through. Yeah. So Liz. she's yeah, yeah, and it's a funny little bulb that uh, would okay. be in flower around Melbourne. Now it's not quite in flower up. Our way, um, so it's a sort of a late spring thing yeah. usually, um, and it's only a wee little bulb, only only grows a few centimetres tall, and it lightly self seeds itself around. Um, never seen it as a pesky thing, um, nice but it has a corally z- colour. Yes, it is, and you can get it in several shades. There's actually a white version of it, and there's a mauve version of it. There's about four or five different colours you can get of it. I love it when the house gets knocked down, but the garden kind of remains. Mm. You can see mm. those little things on the building site. That's yeah. it, the odd it's, things it's, that are popping up. It's like up. The, the pictures we always get sent about the cobra lilies. Yeah. Um, was it the Arizarium vulgaris? Yeah. yeah. I think it is. Mm. And that, which everybody thinks is an orchid. Yeah. Oh, know, because, that? because it's got that, that oh. green hoodie appearance. It does have a green hoodie look about it, yeah. but obviously the structure is quite different. It's, exactly, it's, yeah. exactly. And, yeah, it is one of those plants that have a zest for life, and you will find it in places where it's been zest part of an old, old garden. Old houses, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 Yes, it's in my garden, and it'll always be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about our Facebook page, Stephen, we need to get the plants. Oh, yeah, we haven't done any plants since 9 o'clock and you put them up on our Facebook page. Yeah, and, page. It, and I'm going to talk about this one first because its petals are about to drop off. So if I don't, if I don't talk <laughs> about this one show. before the end of the show, it will. It's already lost two petals since I've been here. Um, this is a really weird woodland plant from Canada, or from North America, um, uh, called Sanguinaria canadensis, or Canadian bloodroot. Uh, and it has a red sap in the roots, hence bloodroot. Uh, it is supposed to have um, potentially chemicals in it, which are cancer-curing, all sorts of things with bloodroot. And it's one of those ephemeral flowers in the garden. It'll be out and gone within a couple of days. So if I hadn't brought this down this morning to talk about, I won't have it next week to talk about, you know, and certainly not in a fortnight when I'm actually yes. due back again. Yes. Um, it's a little white poppy-type flower. It only stands a few centimetres tall. Um, it has a creeping rhizome under the ground, so it will slowly build up colonies um, uh, and it quite literally flowers for about a week 
Uh, Fantastic and foliage. Oh, the, the leaves are well worth growing it for mm. anyway because it's got mm. this really pretty, almost plane tree shaped leaf. Uh, and it's a grey green, which is quite a nice colour in, in semi shade. Uh, and the foliage hangs around until late summer. So the, the leaves are pretty and it's well worth having for its leaves. And there is an exceedingly rare and very beautiful double flowered form, um, which lasts longer because its flowers don't get pollinated so they don't drop their petals quite so fast uh, but the double form is very hard to get in this country and I've got a tiny little clump of it at the moment but it's taken me years to build it up um, but yeah bloodroot is a really interesting little North American plant and we talk about woodlanders and everybody thinks oh well, I can't grow woodlanders because I don't have a woodland um, <laughs> uh, and of course no matter how small your garden is you should have three acres of woodland um, <laughs> but if you haven't it's not really about having a woodland it's just about having some deciduous shade really is what it's about so if you've got a maple tree or even a large old rose bush or something that's a deciduous plant where some of these woodland ephemerals can come up get the light while they're doing their thing and then get some shade over them as the warmer weather comes on then you'll be surprised how many of these things could actually be grown perfectly well in suburban Melbourne. Mm. Um, some of them actually make quite good pot plants, so you could grow them in a fernery or a shade house or something like that. Some of them that need constant moisture during the summer, um, you can sit them in a saucer of water and create the required conditions to grow them. So with a little bit of uh, ingenuity, you can grow quite a range of plants. So, so Sanguinaria canadensis, it's up on the Facebook page, so go and have a look at it. It's a really pretty little plant, but as I said, the petals drop off almost as soon as they come out. So it is one of those plants that you've got to enjoy for a very short time and go, oh, well, that was fantastic, and then just like the leaves. for afterwards. They are lovely. Yeah, they so are. it's a really interesting little plant. And if we've got time, we're, actually, I might talk about this one here, which is an interesting plant. It's an Impatiens. Um, <laughs> Who says Impatiens? Good on you. Yeah, I, I say Impatiens. Some people would say Impatiens. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's an Impatiens, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this one comes from Mount Omia in China, and it is, in fact, Impatiens omiensis. And it, as a foliage plant, it's beautiful. Um, but it looks it like f- a silver vein creeper or something. It looks like a path in a sister. Yeah, it's or... got yeah, it's got that sort of veininess yeah. down the centre of the leaf. It has a burgundy reverse to the leaf. Uh, it's a suckering perennial that has little rhizomes under it or tubers under it. Dies down in the winter. Needs to be kept permanently moist in the summer. So again, this would be one of those things I'd grow in a pot sitting in a saucer for the summer. Um, and it flowers in the late summer, early autumn, which is really useful because most woodland ephemerals tend to be <coughs> spring flowering and then they disappear. Mm. This grows all through the summer and flowers in the autumn. And it has the most beautiful apricot-coloured flowers on it. So, really beautiful thing in Patian zomiensis. Um, and you know, it's a big genus. There's lots of different species from many different parts of the world. Um, and this one is quite easy to keep as long as it's shady and as long as it has moisture. Uh, and if I were to tap it out, which I won't do because I'll get potting mix all over the studio, it'll have a mass of rhizomes and tubers and things underneath it in this pot. Um, so if I release it from this pot and put it into a bigger pot, by the end of the season I'll have that pot full. It, it'd, it'd be a really lovely matching or underplanting with another container plant too. It's yep. the sort of thing mm. that would be gorgeous massed in with something that's a bit taller and grey or, yeah. you know... Yeah, um, it could be a great plant yeah. for that sort of multiple planting thing, yeah. as long as you keep it plenty of plenty mm. of water. If we get a 45 degree day and it hasn't got its roots in moisture, it will just burn and wilt. Mm. So but it, I imagine it would come back up. Oh yeah, you can't yeah. kill it, uh, yeah. you just lose it for that season yeah. Yeah. and then back it comes again. Uh, and when it is in flower, the flowers are truly spectacular, mm. but because it's got such good foliage, um, it's one of those plants that pays its way. Mm. So there mm. you go. So in Patian zomiensis, I'll quickly 
do... We've got time. Mm. We've got yeah. time. Yeah. All right. Relax, oh, yeah, we, relax. We, all right, here we go. Uh, this plant is, has got the naffest name. Uh, it used to be a podophyllum. <laughs> it's now called a, a, a disosma, so it's another one of these things that's had a name change. And this one is a hybrid one that was produced in America, believe it or not, and they call it Spotty Dotty, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I think is a dreadful name. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, 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 yeah there's no way. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't confuse this plant, I guess. It is actually got a very spotty leaf. Uh, this is only a pup, so its leaf is, what, um, 20 centimetres across possibly, but this can get leaves up to 35, 40 centimetres across. Um, when it gets to flowering size, it produces a stem that comes up and two leaves sit on the top of the stem uh, with a short branch underneath it, and the flowers hang from the the join wow. where the two leaves join oh. together, so the flowers hang under the leaves, and they're dark liver burgundy trumpety things that hang down with slightly curly petals and it's the most beautiful thing and again it's a woodland plant it likes constant moisture it would make a great pot plant in a fernery or something I could see it in a big blue anodized pot or something like that looking mm. fantastic um, and the foliage is gorgeous right through till the autumn uh, there are a number of different forms of disosmas uh, as they're now called um, but spotty dotty has got to be one of the most spectacular varieties you can grow. They all have these sort of burgundy flowers that are similar. Some of them have completely bright glossy green leaves. Uh, some have leaves that are, are cut back towards the centre vein, so you've got this sort of... It's a lovely irregular shape too. Yeah. It's, it's not hmm. quite palmate, it's not quite yeah. round, it's not quite, you know, it's many, many things. It's, yeah, and it, there's it, probably a technical term for that exact leaf shape, but yes. God knows what it is. <laughs> uh, but I, and it's got Alien. this almost sort of velour-like mm. effect to it. It's sort of soft and it, and, and, and it looks three-dimensional. Mm. And I think, I think Spotty Dotty, apart from its name, uh, is an absolutely fabulous <sighs> I love it. It's such a highbrow plant with such a lowbrow yeah, name. It is, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The breeder of this should have been given a good spanking, really. But there you go, what can I say? Um, but in a sort of similar vein, another group of plants that I love, uh, particularly mm. this time of the year, are the epimediums. Because uh, many of the epimediums get lovely blotchy coloured foliage as the new leaves come up in the spring. And this one was uh, discovered by a Japanese botanist, um, uh, and it's named after him. So this is Epimedium agushiae. Um, and it has sort of liver-spotted, bronzy, burgundy foliage in the spring. But as the foliage matures, the burgundy disappears and it goes a nice green. And they flower at this time of the year with these really pretty, spurred, pure white flowers against the coppery foliage. And it's a slow multiplying sort of colony of rhizomes under the ground. Um, and I always remember John Patrick saying that they're one of those groups of plants, you'll always remember the name, because you don't water them too much or too little, you just give them an epimedium. medium <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which is a really bad dad joke, and I'm glad I can <laughs> pin it down on John. And it's his fault. So epimedium agushii, um, and there's a whole range of them. There's yellow ones, there's purple ones, uh, there's pink ones, there's white ones. There's a whole range of different epimediums. Some are more or less evergreens, some die down in the winter. Uh, they're all shade-loving perennials. Some are reasonably drought-tolerant, particularly those that come from the Middle East and around the Mediterranean. Uh, but most of the Asian ones, the Japanese and Chinese ones, like a bit of ground moisture, so you need to be careful of that. Mm. And finally, I've got a cyclamen. Dog-chewed dog cyclamen. Yes, well, the pot is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
Cyclamen are one of those groups of plants that I love because I can have them in flower in my garden basically year-round, as long as I select the right species. And this is one of the high spring ones that you don't see for sale very often, one called Cyclamen pseudibericum. And it's a really chunky, nice, rich, deep pink flower with mm. really lovely dark centre. Mm. White ring around the, the, the tube, uh, well-spotted and, and marbled foliage. It's a really good garden one. Uh, it will likely self-seed. Uh, it generally comes in this quite rich magentary pink, but there is a soft pink version of it. And although I haven't got one, occasionally a white shows up, which is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so this one's one of the high spring ones. So uh, it will flower now right through. It's been in flower actually for several weeks. It'll go right through until or probably mid-November, and then when we start getting some really warm weather, it'll just disappear, uh, and then it will come up again the following winter. Um, so when it disappears, then I expect the next one will come in and take its place, which would be um, the summer flowering cyclamen, which is um, uh, cyclamen purpurescens, and then the autumn ones start again. Mm. So I can have them in flower all year round. So it's a small genus of some... 20-odd species, um, but there's so many different forms within the species, you can become an avid collector of them mm. and never get bored, and you can always have one in flower if you've got a big enough collection. Brilliant. So there you go. Mm. So Cyclamen uh, Sudibericum. Okay. Mm. Very quickly, we're going to go to Liz in uh, Collingwood. Good morning, Liz. Oh, good morning. We don't I have just... very long, so... I know. If you go to engage, E-N-G-A-G-E dot vic dot gov dot au, there is a golf course redevelopment standing advisory committee because the trend has drawn developer interest in golf course land. And the Mm. government is seeking submissions by September the 30th to development of golf courses. They're green wedges in effect and wildlife corridors, and I'm just asking your listeners, please, mm, that's interesting, go to golf course redevelopment. Yes. Fantastic. I, I must admit I had a moment when I was <coughs> staring down the, the, the fairways at Royal Melbourne, which, of course, you know, I'll never be allowed back in the gate. Thinking, <laughs> you won't be able to afford to get back no, in the no, gate. <laughs> how great it would be to see a bunch of kids and dogs tearing down that fairway, <laughs> having a bit of fun, you know. Well, but, that's uh, all right, you know, but it's that's very important. Right, but we don't want, you know, six-storey development on them. No, no, no definitely no. not. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, okay, Liz. good on you for raising it. <clears throat> yeah. Bye. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the it's the old thing, isn't it? Like I say to people often that if you you know, I think sometimes we feel very powerless in the big picture of how our land's being treated and what it's being used for. But you know, I'm a firm believer that if you see anyone looking at a favourite tree or in a, you know of yours in the suburb, get out of the car and go and have a bit of a chat, particularly if they're wearing high vis. Um, yes. And yes. Uh, you know, just 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 make yourself known because things happen if people don't don't um, let them know. And you know, I know people who work in local government, and they're saying we're always trying to work out what people want. Mm. You know, that's what we're trying to do all the time. So if you you know if you feel passionately about something, let them know. Write a letter, and definitely, I don't want to see. You know, I'd rather see probably kids and dogs on golf courses than golfers, but, you know, yeah. I'm happy that there's golfers if that's the only option. Yeah, and if that Better saves than houses that bit of land. Cars. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. oh, dear. So, you know, I, yeah, golf's all right. It's pretty fun. 
Yeah. yeah I, I'd, I'd need to have luminous balls if I was going to play golf because that would be the only time I could do it. It would be at night. At night. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's, uh, it takes a lot of time, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's very time-consuming and yeah. I'd rather spend it in the garden, I hate um, to say. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I have nothing against golfers as a group, but, you know, I can't see myself amongst them. Yes. <laughs> night golf. Yes. <laughs> Richard, we've just got time. Uh, I want you to remind listeners all about the show for next weekend. Okay, thanks, Pam. Yeah, that's at the uh, Australasian Native Orchid Society show, the Spring Show, which is on next Saturday and Sunday at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, right opposite Mount Waverley Station, 9 to 4, both Saturday and Sunday. So don't forget, we'll have plenty of plant sales, free talks and demonstrations both days, and you're just going to see the most stunning mm. display of uh, native orchids um, that you'll you'll just ever see in Melbourne. Mm. So get yourself along. It's only $5 for adults and $3 for concession. And uh, as I said, if you want to come back the next day, just let them know that I said it's okay if you keep your ticket <laughs> and you you're can come back in. You're going to be in trouble. I will be. You'll just have to fix right. up all those extra tickets. That's You'll have right. a bill at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Yes, do support it. Really wonderful. Okay, thank you to the whole team. We didn't get to any of your plants, Millie. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. Uh, was, You'll have was, to eat them for later. A huge thank you to Robin, who's been handling all the calls this morning for us. We will, of course, be back again next Sunday morning at 7.30. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.